Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today my guest is Robert M. Atkins. He's a game developer who has touched incredible titles including Doom, Counter-Strike, and many others. We're going to get into the game development side of his career, but we're also going to talk about empowering people through esports. Tune in. Let's go talk to Robert. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC DLC Drop Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right, Robert M. Atkins, thank you so much for joining me today on the DLC Drop Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. It's awesome to be here. Thanks thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. So we were introduced uh, by our producer, Sia, and I just uh, love everything you've been working on. And you're one of those people who you've done a lot of things that I'm aware of. I just didn't know it was you and your team doing it. And so I'm really excited to have you today. Today, you've been a game developer. You've won an industry icon award. You're somebody who's wrote the original art curriculum at the SMU Guildhall. You've done a lot of things in the game and the esports space. Why don't you take us through where that journey started for you and how it got you to where you are today? Yeah, I appreciate that. So it's funny because someone made a post today or yesterday. It was like a, a picture of Doom. And it was like, it, where does this game stand on uh, its relevance in the industry? Yeah. And for me, it was the beginning of my career. My best friend was actually one of the founders of it software, and and I got to go visit their office just on a you know for personal reasons. I just wanted to see where my friend worked. He had moved to Dallas area, and I, I was still back in Louisiana going to college. Mm. And so I got to see Doom for the first time. And it was like incredible. It was like, and I kept like, because I was studying art, I guess the, the closest thing that I could connect it to, it, I just kept seeing it over and over is this is the Renaissance. Yeah. This is the Renaissance. <laughs> this is the Renaissance. That moment yeah. was like life changing or an industry changing because it was like the fidelity, the, the, the fact that it was almost 3D and, and it was like right. the, the number of pixels and all the, the color, the, you know, all these things and the way they were even creating it. They were making sculptures and Adrian was making the, the, the space marine. He was making the cyber demon. They were making wow. these sculptures. They were making these things. And it felt like a whole new like level of development that mm. I was like, and I just, after I said this at the Renaissance, I said, I want in. Yeah. And it was like, that was the kind of moment where I, and I moved to Dallas and I, and I became the marketing director for at Apogee 3D Realms, worked on Duke Nukem, 96 left, Duke Nukem ship, worked on Quake, worked mm. on Sin, Heavy Metal with Kevin Eastman, just, just got really started my first company at Ritual. It was sort of really fast roll once I got in. It was I say yeah. fast. It was three years before I started my first company. And even when I was at Apogee, I kept asking my boss like, "Hey, I know I'm good at the marketing stuff. I know I'm good at designing boxes and logos and writing copy and uh-huh. all this stuff. But I want to make the games, man. I really want to make yeah, stuff. Absolutely. And um, he's like, "No, you're good at your job." <laughs> <laughs> and so I was the only one with a Mac. I mean, like, it, like everyone else had a PC, right? Because that's yeah. how we were making PC games. So I brought my own computer in, like, and I set it launch, and I would just do pixel art, mm. and that was like. So I just kind of like one of those lessons I, I teach at SMU even is like, don't don't just do what your boss tells you to do. Mm. Like, do what you do what's in your heart, and, right? And push your own self forward, and that was sort of like, in a nutshell, kind of who I am. That's incredible. I love what you said at the end there where you're talking about, you know, your boss said to do this, but what your passion and your your natural gifts lended you to was actually working on the game. 
that's something that I, I can relate to. I've worked with a, a big production company called PRG Production Resource Group, and they've empowered me so much to develop business in whatever way I naturally do it. Yeah. And so previously I was at GameStop, as a lot of people know, and there's a lot of restrictions. It's because they're a public company. It's, yeah. you know, like, I don't mind. I get it. They don't want me to say something that, you know, oh, they're going to go to digital. They're, they're not. And then the, the stock price goes down and I get fired. I wouldn't have wanted that either. But I went, I remember going to PRG and I said, hey, I get approached for a lot of speaking opportunities, panels, keynotes, podcasts, etc." I said, what's my limitation or what do I need to be careful not to do? And my boss said, your filter is what makes you most successful. Yeah. And I just, like, in yeah, in that moment, I was like, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> because it's like, this is a company, and I think this is what you're saying, is basically says, John, this is what your goal is to bring in new business. But however you uniquely do that with your unique skills, passion, ability, yeah. go get it. Absolutely. And there's somebody else who is just as effective or more than I am doing it a completely different way, and they embrace that. Yeah. So man. what did that do for you when, well, were, I guess, let me back up. Were you empowered, or did you have to fight through that to become empowered and be able to work on those games? Yeah, so in, I guess when it came to 3D Realms and Apogee, our, our, our bosses kind of didn't even have an office in the building so mm. we were kind of the inmates running the asylum you know <laughs> sure. and we so we they did empower us my boss did did say you know you know that's your job you make the decision you mm -hmm. know when it came to certain things and there were times when i'd be fighting with the publisher about the copy that i wrote you know and it was like yeah. and they're like the publisher saying we're gonna be in front of a senate hearing and they're gonna be telling, <laughs> you know it's like we can't have that copy and it's like I wrote that it's going on the box you know it's like yeah. it's 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 what you do in the game and 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 it was so we were very much some of it was a little we we're young and ego there was some ego there and so of we course. we were we made a lot of mistakes because of it um, <laughs> that's what ego will do yeah that's what <laughs> yeah. ego does right and not knowing and, right. and and so we i've always been part of i guess developer owned companies mm. i guess you know Ap apogee was that way 3dms was that way Ritual was we owned Ritual and we were kind of an art. I would call us an art house where we empowered people to create. Yeah, uh, we didn't dictate what they created. A lot of times we said, okay, here's the product, here's the IP. What's the what's the experience we're going to bring? Mm. And even with big IPs, you know, we were able to like Heavy Metal working with Kevin Eastman on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He originally wanted us to make the Heavy Metal 2000 movie story, and we're like, that that story sucks, you know. And we had to tell Kevin like, well, we'd like to do like 50 years later, you know, like do the sequel. And yeah, and so we were because our studio was we made great product, people well received from the fans. I don't know if it was commercially successful or not, but we. Um, we're given a lot of trust mm. and so really you know and that comes back to what you're saying is you have instincts and you have talent you want to be in a position where people trust you and yeah. and, and empower you and that's really right. that really does matter for every even especially people looking for jobs out there is like and i and i believe like if you just did what your boss asked you to do Hmm. or how he told you to do it, it may be like, that's half of your job, really. The other half is like trying to figure out new ways of doing stuff. And I think it comes sure. down, you mentioned GameStop, it comes down to, the, there's no real innovation taking place within large publicly traded companies. Yeah, Most of that innovation takes place in small, boutique, up and coming, entrepreneurial driven 
organizations hmm. and that's because we can we can move faster we are more agile right. we're more we have to be successful have we have to be we necessity have to be. right and and so i think that that's really that's a lot of what i talk about that's a lot of how i approach my staff approach people is ownership of what they're doing hmm. really matters and and filling ownership over it and we had that even from the beginning with 3d realms we had we we had ownership but we also had self-awareness that we wanted more yeah, so as somebody who's built and led teams, you talk about ownership. What are some ways that you've successfully been able to enable your team to gain ownership? I know I know something that I've experienced, I worked for a small company one time and we were hiring new employees. It was so difficult for people to feel like their job was more than a job. Me and my business partner, you know, he was the founder, I was employee number one that job was our identity. You know, we felt all the ownership and we were all in, but to hire somebody and you want them to feel about the company like you do, to have the passion to, you know, put in the extra hours because it matters. But to them, oftentimes it's just, nope, that's my paycheck. I'm logging out. I'm going home to do whatever I really want to do with my life. Good luck with the business. Have you found ways, uh, whether it's, you know, maybe it's just finding the right people or maybe it's instilling that ownership into people some way. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's probably, there's probably 50 different answers. You know, for me, some of the ways that I, that it worked for us and, and at times was we, we sat right next to our team. We were in, we were, on, well, I, I say, you know, I'm, I'm in the trenches, right. you know, so I'm, I'm there working next mm. to the team. You know, I'm there, I'm in there and doing the same thing. I would never ask someone to do something I wouldn't be willing to do myself. Right. Uh, and, and the other thing I was always doing is if it was a, a job that wasn't that fun or that wasn't that great, like an example would be UI. Hmm. Uh, not everybody UIs its own beast when it comes to sure. things. I would take on that role as the UI designer because I came from a marketing background. So I would do most of the games I've ever worked on. I did the UI, UX, mm-hmm. HUD design. And I would always tell, I would do all the layout, functionality, get it working, make sure it's, it, and a lot of times it was my final art, but if it needed a real art pass, I would hand it off to a more talented guy. Because I would rather my artist that I had on my team be working on making other things look badass. You right. know? And so like the UI is like, it's not that fun, but it's really important, right? Yes. But it was like, I did that. And, and one example would be, um, kind of proud of this because it's still being used today is when we were working on Counter-Strike con- Condition Zero and then we put Counter-Strike on the Xbox, so two different products. But So it was the first time that Counter-Strike at the time was the number one multiplayer game in the world. Hmm. Um, we put it on the Xbox in 2003, so it was the first time it ever went to the console. And it was a, it was a big deal. Well, back in uh, Counter-Strike originally, the way you had to do weapon selection is you had to do, it had a table or you had to like arrow down and arrow up right. to be able to select a weapon. I designed the retinal design, the retinal UI of cool. so weapon selection and yeah. a guy named Squirrel was the programmer. He implemented it. And we, we put, we did that because of hardware constraints. So the, 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 the controller and being able to select your weapons faster was, we needed a solution that didn't involve the, the, the up and down table. And yeah. so we, we came up with that and then put it on the Xbox. And then that UI design actually became the standard for, you know, con- Counter-Strike for how you select your weapons and things. So that's sometimes incredible. even UI makes an impact. But it was that's just an example of empowering uh, your team. But And then the other thing is I would say when it comes to, you know, 
is just let them do their job, man. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I wish I had some magic sauce. The, the, the thing I would do is I wouldn't get in their way. Mm. You know, I would hire young people. A lot of times I would hire industry vets, but I mostly hired young people out yeah. of college. And I, and I was like, you know, I'm, I set them next to a, a mentor, someone. Mm. Said, I would ask them, what is it that you want? Like, where's mm-hmm. your career? Like, what what is your goal? Like, what, like, first year, if you could do anything, what would it be? Yeah. And whatever they would say is I would go, okay, I'm going to sit you next to my most talented or most experienced person who does that. Mm-hmm. And I want you to learn everything you can. Right. And I would do that. I would mentorship was huge when it comes to the growth of young people and empowering mm-hmm. people. And the other thing was I wouldn't overdirect. I would. Yes, I, I spent most of my direction in concept art. So I had a concept art team, and I would mostly spend my time there. And just like anything, if I handed a concept to someone, I was like, "Well, this is what we're thinking, but I want you to. If you have ideas around this, I, I would want you to, you know, make 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 tweaks, work on it, do you know your thing. If you have other ideas, right. present them. So I would always allowing the individual who was working on assets to have more ownership over that. And and mm. I, and the other thing I would I really was really good about was I didn't I didn't believe in waste. If if, okay. if someone built something, worked on it, made it happen. Nine times out of ten, it was the final product. And oh wow! It, yeah, and it was like I don't want to. I don't want to spend a lot of time making the same asset or the same deliverable multiple times. Let's get it right the first time. Right. I think what you said there is. I wrote down the word freedom. You know, is yeah. with, uh, that's something that develops ownership. Is when somebody is tell you know there's there's a term in with bosses strong and wrong <laughs> right and it's like oh, just because you said it loud doesn't make it right but i've been in positions where i felt stifled and it was because either my boss i thought i was so passionate about this idea and they didn't want to do it or they just didn't see the vision you know and i was like we got to do this and they just didn't get it for whatever reason and my response there was then i stopped caring yeah right because i cared so much and i put so much into it and so to get myself to i guess maybe to make the disappointment less or the hurt less my reaction was okay i don't care i'm just gonna mail it in but to your point you said not over directing folks is when you you guide people, especially young people, right? Young people have so mm-hmm. much passion, so much energy. Yeah. And a lot of times leadership and teamwork isn't so much saying, do this exact thing that I would do myself, but I just don't ha- have the time to do. But instead saying, okay, this energy that you've got here, let me direct it. Let me put you, on, go there yeah, and just go and unleash them. And when people do that and they thrive, they gain ownership because they're happy and they're doing what they're Absolutely. meant to do. Yeah, That's yeah. You you you, yeah. you give them a problem and let them come up with a solution or let them offer up the solutions. And you know, one of the things that we did, I wasn't at, at my company. I wasn't happy with the leadership, and I was on the leadership team. Mm. Meaning, I wasn't happy with what we were doing. I wasn't happy with the culture that we were creating. Yeah, I wasn't happy with a lot of things, and and it sucks when the guy who's at the top is not happy. That means something's wrong. <laughs> something's broken. True. Yeah. I mean, it's not that they have to be happy, but it's like I'm saying there's a problem. You know, we have to address this. But I didn't, if the answer was, if I was the smart enough to come up with the answer, then I would just address it. Sure. So I, 
wanted so i came up with uh, at the time what we call the tribal council so it was like uh we called ourselves a tribe at our company and we had sort of this tribe tribe mentality and i put together a council of leaders from each of the departments and some other mm. other departments and we came together and we met weekly and the in that room with those leaders from those departments who are representative of the team yeah we weren't dictating down to them we were allowing in that room of leaders to come up with ideas and the buy-in was there and we took votes on everything mm. that, you know and then it wasn't a ceo or a, a boss or a whatever title telling people hey go do this i know you're not into i know you don't believe in this as a manager but go tell the team that that's what's happening it was none <laughs> yeah. of that bs it was like the manager or the leaders in those departments were there deciding on the decisions that were ultimately they ultimately had to stand behind and believe in when they went mm. back to their teams right and it changed the dynamic of the studio wow uh, so you want to have representation of of your teams uh, making the decisions and that was really important that is important i think too i mean any big company one of the challenges is silos Mm-hmm. right people not working together another challenge is giving everybody not just representation but equal representation having a seat at the table i've been a part of some large organizations where you know one group had all the say and another group had no power whatsoever yeah they were the worker bees right, right. so it's like yeah. great why do i even show up to these meetings or i completely have a different philosophy than so and so over here in a different group but it doesn't matter, and we can't even have a discussion because they are, they're given all the power for whatever reason. Yeah. What were some of the things that enabled you to provide equal power to the different groups of this tribe? I just think hiring the right people. You know, my you know, even though I've been in leadership roles, it was always I got pushed into them. I wasn't mm. necessarily interested in being a president or a CEO even or any of those things. I, because of the respect of the team, just because of how I, I guess, maintained myself, how I delivered, yeah, I was seen as a leader. And I think that's probably part of it too is that you have other people who are the – it's not – you're, hey, I'm the best programmer, so I'm the lead programmer. That's a bullshit thought. I would right. rather my best programmer not be a lead in managing people because they're they're more valuable as a programmer, not necessarily mm. as a – they may not even want to be in that position. Sure. And so finding the right people who are actually good at communicating, uh, good at being a leader, people respect and, and value their – their insights is really important mm-hmm. because there's trust. You know, you build that trust. Interesting. And so I think that's part of it. And you lose that quickly if, if you keep dropping the ball or you you don't you're not there and you can lose that quite quickly. And it's just hard, man. I mean the industry is just a really because it's and, and this is what I'm hearing from you too, it's like we're we're passion driven right. people and we want to work on stuff that we're passionate about. Right. That can be taken advantage of. Right. And and so we have yeah. to be we have to be guarded in some ways, but we also are entrepreneurial at heart. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. another thing I can I can tell about your John is, is entrepreneurs at heart are people who want to, like, 
try things and break. You know, we're not like <laughs> yeah. just do it this way because we know it works. You right. know, like we want to try. We want to trailblaze. Yeah, like yeah. Right, let's try some stuff. Let's see. Let's see, let's what, see what else works. Right. You know, that's working today. Doesn't mean it's going to work tomorrow. True. And so I think that that's part of having been through so many games and so many technology cycles. Mm-hmm. We are comfortable in change because every five years, new tech, new something, new Point. new platforms, new. It's it, we. You know, I started in the at Apogee. It was digital bulletin boards, right? The bulletin boards we were selling direct. So I was doing direct mailers to people, and then oh, wow. it became all retail. If you're not in Walmart and you don't have the mm-hmm. big box. You know, and then the big box had to go away because we need to make more room for smaller, more products yeah. on the shelf. <laughs> you know, and then it became like Valve's like, you know, piracy sucks. And the the re- why do we have to sell through Walmart? Like, mm-hmm. let's create digital downloads. I mean, yep. like, it, and then it became, you know, console market became, you know, there wasn't that these barriers went away. And then mobile. I mean, our technology right. and the, the innovation and, the, and it, like that doesn't come from people who are just doing it the same way or thinking the right. same way or even doing what they're told because everyone told Valve that wasn't going to work. That wasn't a good idea. Yeah. And it was a good idea. <laughs> it was a, not only was it, it was a, it was one of the most, like the industry is completely digital download almost yes. now. It's like Walmart's not even, it's a non-factor. Yeah. And I was proud because we, Half-Life 2 kind of launched uh, Steam. That was mm-hmm. a big deal. And then uh, Valve asked us to, to take the Half-Life 2 engine and make a game with it. So we, we, we relaunched mm-hmm. the Sin franchise, and we were the number 27, 27th product on Steam. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's like, that's pretty cool, man. I like this. They sent a plaque for it and everything. So I was like, I think we were the number, maybe the second third-party product that was ever on Steam. Wow. Yeah, so we I've been through the technology changes, uh-huh. and that's what that to me is the exciting part of the industry is like you know making the same old stuff isn't that exciting, right? You know, and it just comes down to that comes down to again freedom, letting people indie development, giving them the giving them the tools, giving them Unity and Unreal, and saying go nuts. Yeah, well, let's get into that a little bit. What you know, talking about innovation in gaming, what do you see? as what's coming next or that's about to be the next trend in whatever way you want to take that. Well, I, I, you know, having been through some of these cycles of like, you know, esports, I think is really, is really freaking cool, man. Because it's like, I've been the guy for years watching it, like almost do it. You know, I was there when, you know, John Carmack's Ferrari was the prize for, you know, and Frag, yeah. or I think it was Frag, was it, was it Frag that was, I can't remember the, the, sure. the, play, the player, there was a player who was an esports player, he's like, he won his John Carmack's Ferrari at E3 <laughs> through, through, you know, a, a tournament. Yeah. You know, and I was there, and, you know, I was there through a lot of times, it just never seemed like it took off. Like, mm-hmm. it seems like it was struggling, but now, it's like, the yeah. last few years, it's like, oh my lord it's like this is it you know it's mm-hmm. just like doom is the you know kind of the renaissance game for me right i think esports is that next big thing and it makes so much sense mm-hmm. you know as a traditional sports guy i love watching john mcenroe play tennis because yeah. i wanted to get better at playing tennis right you know i, I love watching the lakers play basketball because i wanted to like i'd go out the backyard after the game and go <laughs> shoot hoops you know uh you know, kids aren't watching basketball. They're not watching right. traditional things. They're watching gaming. I think it was the right. first quarter of 2020. There was three billion hours just on Twitch alone being watched. Yeah, and that is that is where it's at. I mean, that's the audience. And the 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 thing that people haven't figured out yet, 
the teams mm-hmm. are there, the, the infrastructure's there, the branding is starting to, to get there, and the, right. there's all this money. Yeah. But I don't, the opportunity, I think, is how do you monetize or how do you bring yeah. really valuable digital experiences or something cool to that audience that's mm-hmm. engaged? I think that's a really great opportunity. Yeah, I the way I see, I'm I'm in this world, and so I I love talking shop about esports marketing, the future of it. What I see in the U.S. specifically, the rise the last four or five years was that traditional television brands, agencies that supported them, and traditional sports all saw that young people are not engaging with them. You know, viewership participation is declining, and they're not getting any young people basically. And so they say, well, what are young people doing? They're all playing video games. Well, one thing I learned at GameStop, it's super hard for a brand to integrate organically into a non-competitive game. And so my job at GameStop when I first started was non-endemic partnerships. So essentially, let's say Doritos, Dr. Pepper, whoever wants to reach gamers, hey, we've got this massive loyalty program. We've got, you know, all these emails going out. We've got all these channels, et cetera. Well, the problem was, I was—I ta- remember talking to Dr. Pepper one day. He said, John, it's really hard to sponsor a two-week campaign for one game and then go and do a two-week campaign for the other game. I said, okay, yeah, I get that. Well, what if you sponsored a season, right? Like Q4, holiday, all the games come out, all the, all the shopping is going on for mom and dad need to find the game and they need a physical gift to give their kid. We get tons of people in store for that. Well, John, the problem there is uh, half of your games we don't want to be associated with, <laughs> right? Red blood or whatever yeah. the issue is. Well, when you look at esports, you know, these brands, these agencies, these teams, they see familiar, sponsorable assets. And so they see jerseys, venues, content, teams, leagues, all these places where they say, oh, this is ripe for logo placement. Then what they figure out is the consumer is a little bit more skeptical and uh, more requiring. My opinion is you need to enhance the experiences of the community to be embraced. But yeah, I absolutely believe that esports is the future of entertainment. What I'm seeing as a major challenge is the monetization. That's right. And you've got the leagues are owned by the publishers and the publishers are making a ton of money because they can make money a whole sorts of different ways, right? Activision, for example, can make a ton of money selling the game of Call of Duty and could lose money operating Call of Duty League, and it's a marketing loss leader that ultimately results in more sales of the game because when Scump is yelling at the opposition (laughs) and doing choke signs, which is amazing, so-and-so at home who just plays the campaign is like, yeah, that's awesome. Cool, I'm just going to play the campaign, right? So I see... How do we get the teams to make money is yeah. the, the biggest thing I, I think. Because we don't have, in traditional sports, you have media rights deals because it's on programmatic television. Yeah, Streaming online is much more difficult for media rights because so much of it can be pirated. It's not easy to program it. And so currently sponsorship revenue is the number one source of revenue. And then you have a bunch of teams that aren't fulfilling sponsorships to get ROI to the partners, which is terrifying because if you're a brand and you're sponsoring my team and you're not getting ROI, you're going to take those dollars away the next yeah, time you get the chance. Absolutely. Right? So I, I'm curious. I've talked to a number of people about, hey, maybe there's a subscription opportunity that you know enables teams to 
monetize, you know, skins or other digital, you know, items, things of that nature. I'm just curious. No one's figured it out yet. Are there any thought starters in your mind of like, you know, how can this space be better monetized? You know, I, I wish I had some wand a fair golden like ball to look into because it's a real yeah. challenge i mean we, you're wearing a complexity t-shirt and yes. uh, we've done great things with complexity and we get a lot of eyeballs and it's like okay why can't we get big brands to connect with you know race the world first right and there's an example and i think there's because it isn't necessarily the team's pro- fault or the product's fault i think it's the i think there's just some really challenging gates an example would be blizzard you know blizzard won't allow you to and i love blizzard i play world of warcraft with my yeah. wife every night yeah i but they won't allow you to mention other games during their during their events right you know and so okay that's you can't go to other games who would love to connect to that crowd uh, so that's one problem so then you have twitch who is owned by amazon who's like okay you have you can't have click-throughs or you can't have certain types of brand you certain types of products that that are being advertised during these events too so you're limiting potentially some of the bigger brands and i think those are just those are challenging when you have the publisher and you have the primary streaming platform that's a really challenging challenging issue now you have other streaming platforms that are trying to come up that are that are trying to address some of those things that don't necessarily sure. have some of those gates and also share data more, I was about to say more data is being shared, right. more analytics around around those things. I think that's part of part of the hurdles that you have to figure out. Um, and I I think unfortunately, and it's 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 still true. I think five years ago, one thing happened was was Fortnite. Fortnite really changed a lot of even when I was out pitching my company. Yeah. People are like games, like game, really, like well, games make you know hundred. It's one hundred fifty billion a year compared to movies and film and all these things. Mm-hmm. They still didn't get it. Now it's like okay, stream. Now they're watching their kids. Everyone on the planet has heard of Fortnite. Right. Uh, everyone on the planet has heard of esports. It is, there's definitely been a shift, but there's yeah. still not a shift in the corporate space taking gaming seriously and 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 that's really like years ago my i mentioned my best friend was one of the founders of it and he would tell me adrian would say don't ever tell anyone you work in games i was like what it's like why not <laughs> because they won't take you seriously wow and now i think there's culturally a shift because the yeah. people who are in decision making positions in the world were gamers they, they've been brought up as or gamers. their kids are gamers or their kids are gamers or they've seen it, it you yeah. know they're seeing it constantly they're inundated with it it's just I don't think those decision makers or the people who are in those corporations still understand what's mm-hmm. ha- the the tidal wave, the tsunami yeah. that's coming, and they're all they're trying to use inundated or, or outdated models mm-hmm. to fit on top of a completely new experience. And you and you almost said the word earlier is like they're not authentic. Right. You can't have a brand that is like. A, trying to get into gaming that has nothing to do with the community that's not authentic that's not real trying to put their stuff into that experience right. because guess what as gamers we got we got the best we can we can turn off any information that's not important and right. focus on what is it doesn't matter Absolutely. where it's on the screen right and that's really what when we look at balance when we're looking at you know the, the esports community 
and we want to empower them. Like we wanted to, we want to create better, authentic things. And we're like, what, what is it that we can? So we looked at it two different ways. How do we improve sponsorships? Like how can we mm-hmm. build technology that allows some better experience that's integrated into the stream? Yeah. It's not a commercial that's right. abstract right. That, or that's outside of the stream. It's, it's an interactive. So we're delivering it for like in the race to world. We delivered live API fed real-time statistics, player information, mm-hmm. race information, right to right to the, the, the audience. And at the same time, we also had interactive experiences. It could be simple as polling or as, as you know trivia around the, the game. And even what we do is we crowdsource AI machine learning that does something else. So we empower this community. And ultimately what we want is we want that community to be able to be the crowdsourcing a data set generation where they're helping solve a real world problem and mm-hmm. then like mm-hmm. training medical AI. So that's one of the things we're doing and we monetize the medical AI and the, and the pharmaceutical industry. And to answer your second that's point of what they need is that's a new revenue stream yeah. for the team and the community. So we're, mm. we're looking at our technology development is how do we create additional revenue streams that currently do not exist so mm-hmm. that we're not reliant on software cells or our right. com- branding cells. So right. what else can we create from the community that's doing good, that's authentic to the community? Because who doesn't have someone who's died of cancer in their family right. or some, of some medical disease? We right. all do. Right. It's, it's, and that's a, that's a sad fact. But if we can use those engagement hours, those billions of hours, doing that medical in the crowdsourcing those AIs now yeah. that is monetizable to the people who brought those eyeballs well I love that and uh, this is where I really want to lean in with with balanced and talk a little about you know we were talking earlier and you said John you know what really got me to start balanced was yeah I love esports I love games but I wanted to do more yeah and I'll be honest with you when I was at GameStop this is nothing against GameStop, but sometimes I was like, is what I do, does it really matter? You know, like, yeah, games are fun and they're, and they can be impactful to a point. And I know a lot of people do resonate with, yeah, I spent, you know, my, my years in this game. But when you're saying like ultimate, ultimately things that really, really matter. Yeah. Sometimes I was like, I'm just selling video games. This is ultimately really help people and so what i love is when you're doing stuff that's fun that's awesome when you're doing stuff that's cool that's great but when you are doing things that are really impacting people on a human level yeah and then you can do that within something that you love like games and esports yeah i i think that's amazing so why don't you tell us you know you teased it a little bit there but really dive into there to what you guys specifically are doing yeah i appreciate you uh telling us the how you felt at GameStop. Not bragging on GameStop, but that was your experience. You wanted to do more, right? It and felt cosmetic, ultimately. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's like any any of us, at some point, You even if you're successful, if you're just making product, it's, that's all it is at the end of the day. Like, great, yeah. you made the best game and you sold, you made a bunch of money. You know, what else? You know, what right. more is there? You know, that and, fulfillment, and, that deeper, yeah. that higher purpose. If Absolutely, you will. man. And, and we don't, we all have that journey that we take, you know, mm-hmm. and we get there. And mine was like, I was about to leave the industry about eight years ago because mm. I, I had, I, I was just done with it, man. It was just like this, it's hard to make games. People think it's just fun. <laughs> like we're just sitting around, <laughs> like, 
playing all day, you know, it's like time consuming and life consuming. And like, it takes a lot out of you as an artist. I'm pers- yeah. I'm, I'm emotionally connected to whatever I'm working on. Yeah. I can't, I'm tooled that way. Yeah. So for me, it's like an emotional thing, mm-hmm. you know, and spiritual as well. Like my, sure. my insides are on the, in that product. And if it sucks or if it's not popular, then that sucks for me. Cause it's, I'm, I'm too connected to it. Right. Absolutely. And so like, and I think that that's just how I am, but that's why I wanted to leave is like, cause I wanted more. And I, and I, and I, when I started teaching at the guild hall, I, I, I realized I was like, maybe teaching's the thing. Cause I was maybe mm. a professor, you know, I could at least sculpt the minds of young sure. people and, and, and maybe get them to think about their careers differently in yeah. the industry as a whole. And through that process of teaching a uh, graduate school at, at there and, and incredible, incredible group of kids and, 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 and cohorts and, I realized I didn't need to leave the industry that I helped create. I needed to empower it. Mm. Like I needed to empower it. Like, like, you know, like there's, we can do more. It's not about me. It's like, I started getting to looking at it from a, from a, a bigger lens. This isn't about me. Yeah. It's about the industry. Mm-hmm. I started an industry, hundred million people playing games worldwide in 92, mm. 2.6 billion playing wow. games today. We're yeah. spending a billion hours a day online. If we don't, as as the creators of that industry, and we talked earlier about all the different phases of development and, and digital downloads to technology development, and yeah. mobile, all these advancements, I really genuinely believe the work we're doing at Balanced is laying the groundwork for empowering all gamers to make a difference in the world. Wow. Not just not just passive entertainment, but actually engaging directly in problem solving. Yeah. Every day we hear about climate change. Why right. aren't why can't climate change research be crowdsourced through gaming? It right. should be. It's just right. there's it's not there. It's not it's not happening on a global scale. There's examples of it. Citizen would, science. So how how would that tangibly? How can how could that happen? So in a couple of ways. One just like with computational biology, we could we can we can put in data sets that creating variables around a particular action in a game. I'm, I'm turning a red block, green or blue. Uh-huh. What I'm really doing is I'm helping parrot a data set. We've done that with cancer research, for example. Another yeah. one is with image recognition or some type of segmentation or labeling of imagery. Okay. So there's a lot of image uh, images that are generated in the medical space. Yeah. We need AI to, we need to train the AI in order to look at those images and be able to identify certain properties in the image. Right. Same thing with global and climate change. There's all mm. this imagery out there. Yeah. And they crowdsource, they, they, they crowdsource this through, you know, Mechanical Turk or something. And, and it's not fun. So the person is it's just clicking it for a penny a penny a day. Oh, I see. What we're yeah. seeing is we can we can integrate those types of activities in games so that people are are, are doing those things. And the work it becomes enjoyable because it's through a game. Essentially, and people that's, what you're saying. It, that's right. And yeah. at this, it's not done for by a financial benefit of an individual who needs to, to get a penny a click. Yeah. It's done because people like us all care about the climate. Right. Like, let's all work on this. Right. Like, and so we needed to build a platform, the technology's platform, and we, we have it in Unreal Engine, Unity mm-hmm. Engine, HTML5. We put it on top of eSports. Yeah. So while people are engaging, it was the f- first time we we did an eSports event, Complexity. We got Drainy, who's at the time was the number yeah. one Madden player in the world. Yep. Fantastic young man. He came to Children's Health, and we did an event there. We had him playing with Michael Irvin, the, the Hall of Fame football player from Dallas. I actually remember when that ha- I was at GameStop during that. Ha- I remember seeing that because we, I think we were 
associated with yeah i think you guys were a sponsor yeah yeah you guys absolutely GameSpot was a was a sponsor through complexity exactly yeah and and we were able to you know raise money for children that's great Uh, and the gaming industry makes raises hundreds of millions a year for charities it's incredible well Uh, part of that just to dive in really quick on that point is i remember when i was at gamestop i would get hit up all the time by charities Right? They're like, oh, we found a new email address. Let's hit that guy up, right? <laughs> and I remember going to our PR and I was getting a little pushback. And, you know, I didn't have the context or the detail. Once again, it's nothing about GameStop. They support so many charities and do such a great job doing it. But my perspective at the time, not understanding the context, I was like, guys, why aren't you supporting this? Like, we've got this person, this person. And he said, John, do you know how many requests we get? All of them. Yeah. Because every kid plays video games and every single one of these kids who's stuck in a bed in a hospital, number one, a lot of times that's all they can do. Number two, that's probably all they would want to do if they were able to do other things as well. And so it was, it got to, it just said, we have to be selective, right? We can't help everybody. And that's sad, but we want to focus on the ones we can help. And so I think it's incredible when more groups of people can help because the people who are currently helping are at capacity a lot of times they can't help any more people absolutely so in that event we were the first time ever an esports esports because we had a professional esports guy there playing games with kids it wasn't competitive esports it was just esports themed in nature streaming live Uh and we put cancer research on top of so Mm. esports and uh and on twitch first time ever a doing that type of work was done yeah. in a real time. So that happened here in Dallas with our tech. And then we took it, we, exp- you know, we raised the bar when we did race to world with complexity and we had right. a lot more people engaging. And we, during that event, it was, I don't remember how many hours were played of the game mm-hmm. during commercial breaks up. It was like six months of research time that was done over the seven days. Wow. So essentially the crowd in seven days and it wasn't great engagement to be honest because yeah. we you know it was the first time it had you know i say great everyone would have done it <laughs> not just a, a sure. subsection yeah but that's the point is we can we as the crowd mm. we as the people can do this and and, I, and there's a great documentary it's i think it's called a uh, social dilemma okay it's about the social it's about it's about you know the problems with social media and, mm. and all these people, oh, are, all these yeah. people are talking. These are professionals who helped create that industry. Are all saying, "Here's all the things that are broken." Right. You know, it's just a big money machine. It's like we don't care about you. You know, the individuals don't matter. We're just sure. we're doing all this stuff. Like, how do we fix it? Well, only those people who help create that machine ultimately are going to know how to build technology to empower it to do something good. Mm. That's the answer for the social media problem. Guess what? It's also the answer for gaming. Mm. We are like it's going to take developers to in order to build something that empowers their community outside of monetizing yeah. them, right? Yeah, and and that's okay. I want to monetize. I want to monetize as well. I would rather monetize the pharmaceutical industry hmm. or another industry that has a lot more money than gaming industry. And I want to rev share back to the teams. I want to rev share to mm. other developers. I want to rev share to the the community themselves. There's so much money out there. It's not a money problem. Yeah. It's a it's a vision problem. We need to we need to build the right technologies that empower these other revenue verticals to come in. And right. and by doing that, 
then you can then I think you unlock even more authentic relationships with brands. Let me give you an example. If every single corporation, you're, I'm sure your ba- background touches marketing all the time. It is. Yeah. When when the economy crashed back in you know the 2009 or whatever it yep. was 2008 we yep. have to you know we lost a lot of people we were like okay we have to reconnect we have to show our purpose we have to have value driven company value everything is about values right. and, and what's our cause right yeah they all have a cause every major corporation has a cause that they normally put money into sure yep. if you could also not just put money into that cause what if you could help solve that problem ultimately mm. whatever it's climate change for example or whatever sure. That's really what technology can do. That's really mm. what the power. It's not a money problem. It's a power. It's a it's a it's a processing problem. A lot of time, yeah. like you know, when you look at, you know, Mark Zuckerberg. There's an article out there where he's talking at and his Chan Zuckerberg. Oh, he put three billion dollars into researching and trying to build things around the human health and education yeah. and whatnot. In his board meeting, he's talking about our one of our number one costs is processing. <laughs> right, like paying Amazon. To right. process, or, or and one right. of the one of the the issues is just all these supercomputers. Well, guess what? That's fine. You may have access to a supercomputer at university. You're waiting three months to get your turn. That's causing uh, these massive delays and discovery, and and that's really one of the major problems. La- last year, whenever COVID happened, the FDA exposed all of these compound data and they said, "Hey, we need to can we we can figure out which one of these FDA approved compounds could potentially block the the virus from attacking healthy cells." Mm-hmm. Well, folding at home and I think it was AM not AM I think it was AM one of the one of the hardware uh, accelerator card companies okay. put a call to action to their community. They created the world's largest distributed grid yeah. supercomputer <laughs> overnight. There's a lot of examples of that, right? Yeah. We just put a call out to the the community and say, "Hey guys," and they make it happen. There's no better equipped and ready community in the world and gamers. That's what we True. do. Call to action, baby. Let's go. Like, right. Let's solve this problem. You're all connected online. Boom. Many well, hands make light work. Many and, mice make ha- light work. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> man. It's It really is about the power of the crowd, and that's really what I believe is the future mm. is in the difference between esports and traditional sports is we're not just passively watching something. We can be yeah. actively engaged and that ultimately is going to unlock better brand opportunities. That's going to unlock right. money. That's going to create new AI, new machine learning models that we can monetize from other communities. There's we're just we're looking at it through the old lens. Mm. If we think esports should be monetized the same way that traditional media, has I love been. that because I think we have we have a lot of the brightest minds from traditional sports coming into esports. Absolutely. Right? League commissioners, Johanna Ferries is, is one of my favorites. And so we have people who have this experience and they come in, sometimes they understand it, sometimes they don't, right? But I think a lot of the thinking currently is around, okay, media rights is the number one source of revenue in traditional sports. How do we replicate that in esports? And I think that's the wrong question. I think this is a new thing that requires new solutions and we need to get our minds together to create something that's never been created Absolutely. and folks like what you're like yourself and your team what you're doing sounds like you're working down the path to get there Absolutely you're right. I think that is you can't innovate if you're thinking about it the same way it's always been. Right. And so and you're not going to connect with a community that is that fills this this kindred connection as family or as the tribe is there's gamers are a tribe gamers believe right. that this is our community 
guarded when they do take on something of passion like raising money for children's health or, or, or any yeah. of the other hundreds of millions annually. Right. That's because gamers are givers. Right. I think it's gamers. We just need to empower these people to do something mm. meaningful. And that's really what it's about. And, and the other exciting thing I'm excited about is this idea of the digital space. I'm sorry, the physical space, mm-hmm. the facility. And there's like a bunch of companies building physical facilities around to get gamers together. Because right. th- I love E3. I love PAX. I love all these places where you can get together with gamers and, mm-hmm. and be part of the. Your, you see you're not just behind a computer. You're there with them. Right. There's something exciting about that. But that physical space, if you're just thinking about that physical space, that that arena, the same way that you're thinking about it from the Cowboys' point of view or from some other point of view, it's the same butts in seats. That's a broken model too, man. You may do that. Right. But 10,000 people in your physical arena, when you got a million people who want to tune into that same event, how do you, digitally, how do you connect those two audiences together? How do you create that engagement that goes both ways versus just looking at it? But interaction. That's right. Interact. Yeah. Those absolutely. Those interactive streams. That's where our company's headspace is at. We're thinking mm. about physical spaces where people gather, esports and, yeah. and other venues, and also connecting to them digitally. So those two worlds. And we just went through that, right? The lockdown, mm-hmm. right? Pandemic. What we we're at home. We were forced to watch our concerts from our, our living room. We were forced to watch things from our home. I think that there's a, that that change is going to ripple forward forever mm. and we need to have that option and and but we need to have technologies that make it more engaging because we still want to be connected to people right it's still awesome to go walk around a- acl or or, or uh, an esports and be there too you know like how do i bridge that gap yeah. between those things i think that's where a lot of I, I, that's where a lot of my headspace is too. Is I want to I want to I want to figure that problem out, and that's really what's yeah. exciting. You come back, circle back around with the, with the team stuff. Is like, what are the really cool problems? What are the mm-hmm. problems like? What are the what are the opportunities? And let's go. Let's find smart thinkers and and, yeah. is, and figure out these things, and then go build it. And and that's really what I'm excited about is trying to develop innovation in these spaces. I love that. You know, you talk about people getting together, being remote, being so connected online. Once had a friend say, you know, if there was ever a group of people who didn't need to get together, it would be gamers. Because you're connected online, you have all the access, you're already communicating that way. But when you think of participation in person, one of the images that comes to mind is E3, right? Is cosplay participation attendance and there's it just shows me that we as humans have something inside us that the the internet the digital interaction isn't enough we i think one thing COVID has taught us is that we crave the in-person interaction yeah now i also think that another thing that COVID taught us was you know pre pre pre-covid you had a lot of events that were exclusive there in the venue right you couldn't like couldn't see anything outside of the venue it's just for the people there yep and I think a lot of eyes were opened to the broader opportunity of, yeah, you still want to attract people in person. You want to have that unique value there. But the reach and also the data, because you can track everything online, when you open that up in a way and then you enable people to interact like you're talking about, just br- takes things to the next level. And it's going to be so exciting to watch it happen. Yeah, and I, and I think we need to think about it. It's more than just 
selling them more stuff, right? Right. It, it's like, what else can we do? What else can we do to bring value? Our companies, one, we want to do, we want to figure out better branding opportunities. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm all for that because I think that you have to have those brands to help bring value to the teams. Like you said, that's a real problem for monetization of the teams. If we don't have mm-hmm. the teams, guess what? We don't have we don't have anything. You don't have a league. Yeah, you don't have yeah. a league. You know, like you can't you can't you know. And so that's super important. We have to solve that problem. Yeah. So branding that that branding problem is there, but we also want to make sure that we're bringing value to the community in a really yeah. authentic way that allows them to feel even more connected emotionally to their teams and to and to their. And so I do believe that this is a. I'm excited about how you could start to connect that purpose driven in community to connect it to the the, the business of esports yeah. and start to do something unique that you cannot get in other traditional right. sports and media. And that's really mag- I think there's a magic there's a magic thing that's going to happen there. And I hope I'm I at the center of it. I hope my company's at the center of it. I love that. I think you're right. I think what I'm hearing for you is, is essentially gaming can enable what has never been done before, but to do it we need to think about things that haven't been done before either right? because the solution is not going to be from the past. It's going to be something new that's developed for the future. That's right. And that's what we're trying to build at Balance. Absolutely. That's incredible. And we're not going to be the only ones doing it. I hope that we can get other... My goal is that other developers and other other game companies and even publishers start to see that yeah. and they get on board because then it, it unlocks some of those gates and some of the constraints I think we've seen. Right. Well, I love it. Before we end here, tell everybody how to get a hold of you or, or what you want them to know about so people, when they listen and watch this episode, they can follow up in ways that you'd like. Yeah, so if you want to learn more about the company and our work, go to bmt.world. Great. Like B is in boy, M is in Michael, and T is a tom.world. It's not .world.com, it's just .world. And if you want to reach out to me directly, I'm great with that as well. It's robert at, bm, at bmt.world, so... Fantastic. Yeah, and I appreciate the time, and, and it sounds like like-minded in the way we're looking at things, and that's really, that's what gets me excited is as you're trailblazing, as you're building things, you want others to be there with you because it's not fun. Absolutely. It's not a fun journey alone. Uh, right. And you want to you wanna see other, and that to me is what's great about gaming even is like, you know, you want to be in a guild or you want to <laughs> join, you want your friends to play with you too. Yeah. That is really what I see is the shift that's starting to happen is where people who are starting to look at this industry and who are developers in the industry are looking at it from, we can do more. I love that. I, you know, I hope this is the first of many conversations that you and I have. My mind's just going crazy on just a lot of overlap, a lot of complimentary things. And also just a call out to anybody listening or watching that if this is something you want to be part of, or you have a complimentary service or skill set to offer what you, what you and Balanced are doing, definitely reach out to Robert. We'd love to help make that connection. So wonderful. with that, Robert, thank you so much for joining us today on the DLC Drop Podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review.